Well, praise God, it's so good to uh, come together to worship. I always love coming out on Sunday night. I hope um, uh, we'll always have a second service on uh, Sunday. I know they're dying out. You know, uh, when you go through uh, out Essex County and you look at uh, church billboards and you look at their, t- their, uh, their time of their worship service, usually they only have one worship service on Sunday. You know, and one of the things I love about having a second worship service is I really think it builds in intimacy among the people of God. You know, those who come out, you know, seem to be committed, seem to really want to learn about, uh, learn about Christ. And it gives, again, an opportunity for, for us really to get to know one another. So I'm always thankful. And I'm always thankful because I have another opportunity to preach the Word of God, and I love to preach. You know, and so through, throughout the last 23 years, God has given me the opportunity to fulfill this pulpit and really study the Word of God extensively and preach it twice a week. And I am so thankful for that. And I'm so thankful for the Gospel of John. I always wanted to preach through the Gospel of John. And I think, you know, um, I'll be preaching in the Gospel of John until I retire. It is absolutely amazing to look at this. I mean, I've got another... 20 sermons, and after these 20 sermons, I am just into John chapter 15. That's why I say that. It's, it's going to be a while. You know, and, and I love this book, and I love, again, what, uh, what, what, is, what is here. But uh, uh, chapter uh, number 14 starts what's called the uh, final discourse of our Lord Jesus Christ, the farewell discourse. And, and, and it's amazing because he just told his disciples that he's about to depart, and they realize what that departing means, that he is going to go away, that uh, there's going to be, again, this death, and there's great grief, there's great sorrow that comes over them. You know, and so in chapter number 14, he tries to give them promises, you know, various different promises that they can live in light of. In other words, these promises are meant to encourage them to look to Christ, to trust him through all those things. And one of the promises happens to be, again, at right at the beginning, isn't it? And that is that one of the reasons that Jesus is going away, one of the reasons why Jesus is going away is that he might prepare a place for us, that where he is, we may be also. And I love that, because so often when we think of our reward, when we think of heaven, when we think of a life after this life, we many times think of a destination, we think of a geography, we think, again, of the abode that happens to be above. But our reward is Jesus Christ to be with him, to be with our Lord and Savior. And let me just say this, even though we don't realize it, this side of eternity, you know, there's nothing better than being with Jesus. There's nothing that's going to fulfill our hearts, our joy, our all, than being with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what awaits us. You know, another promise that he gives and that we looked at last time is he promises if he goes away, they are going to do greater works than even Jesus Christ has done. You know, and when you look at that, what he's not talking about is he's not talking about his miracles. He's not talking about the signs and wonders. And when you think of all the miracles that Jesus did, they only had a limited value, didn't they? You know, he might give sight to somebody, but they could only see in this, in, in this life. You know, that physical body would still be left in the grave. You know, and what he's talking about here is the significance of the new birth, the significance of those who would come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, the significance of the Great Commission where we would go into all the world and preach the gospel. And can you imagine how many kingdom citizens have been added to the kingdom of God over the last 2,000 years to populate, to praise Jesus Christ for all of eternity? This is the greater work of God. You know, and he also gives another promise that I want us 
us to look at tonight. I hope it will be a great encouragement because it's meant to be an encouragement, not just to the disciples, but also us. And it happens to be, again, in verses 13 and 14. Let me just read it to you. It says, whatever you ask in my name, this will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask, ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, as you look at that promise, just like the last promise we looked the last time we were in the book of uh, John, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt how this can be taken out of context, how it can be man- manipulated, and how many different interpretations come about it. You know, and when we look at the verse, again, what, what a lot of people see is a blank check. You know, an open promise. If I ask anything, if I believe, if I come through the merits of the Son, I can basically have anything that I want in this life. You know, anything. You know, I can remember when I, when I was a young Christian, I, I had a really good friend, you know, and, uh, and, he, uh, and he just finished Bible school. And in fact, he was about 10 years out. I shouldn't say he just finished by, uh, Bible school, but he, was, he wasn't even 10 years out, about six or seven years out. You know, and he had a young family. He uh, worked in a Christian school. You know, and he was a great preacher of, uh, of uh, Jesus Christ. He had such keen insight that happened to begin in the Word of God. Well, he was diagnosed with a, an aggressive form of cancer, you know, that they needed to treat right away. You know, and I can remember when I heard the news because everybody else was hearing this news at the same time. You know, and they started prayer chains, and, and I believe that there was thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people praying for this young man, that Christ would heal his body. You know, and after a few months, again, of this aggressive cancer, he succumbed to that, you know, leaving behind a widow and a couple of children. And he looked like he had such great potential for the kingdom of God in this life. You know, and I think a lot of times as we look at the promises, such as the promises that happen to be right here in verses 13 and 14, they seem so fantastic. I mean, they seem so otherworldly. They seem so uh, big and grand and glorious. But when we come to our own prayer lives, our prayer lives don't seem that grand. They don't seem that glorious. We don't see those things to come to pass, such as the healing of my friend. You know, and we wonder, is there something wrong with me? Is there something wrong with the way I pray? Is there something wrong in my trust with this great God that happened to be again above? You know, I've even talked to people who even doubt that they happen to be born-again believers because somehow heaven seems to be silent and God seems to be again not hearing my prayers. You know, and I don't know how many times I've been asked as a pastor, can you teach me to pray? You know, and usually when somebody asks me that, I say, yeah, I can teach you to pray, but I want to ask you this question. Why do you want me to teach you to pray? You know, and they'll many times say, I just don't know how to pray. I don't, I don't know how to commune. You know, heaven really seems to be silent any time that I pray. And what they're asking me to do is to teach them some sort of mode, some sort of formula, some sort of, sort, of, sort of way. Maybe we should pray again for the glory of God right here, you know, and pray for him. Then we should pray for others, and then we should uh, pray for ourselves. And let me tell you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, if you look at all the prayers that happen to be in the word of God, there's no specific order to them. You know, sometimes people uh, come and they, they're just exalting God and they're enjoying God and they want to praise Him. Sometimes their burden is so heavy because of some trial in their life that they come before God and that's all that they're praying about. Sometimes it's about an, another person. But there's no, no specific mode that happens to be there. And I think one of the greatest problems when it comes to prayer is not so much how we pray, 
but how we consider prayer. I, th- I think the greatest problem that happened to begin in our prayer life happens to be theological, how we think about God. You know, what really is the purpose? What really is the intent of prayer? I can remember I read a book a number of years ago by Sam Storms. It's still my favorite book on uh, prayer, even though it happens to be um, out of print right now. And I can remember he said something right at the beginning of the book that I found so so profound. He said that what, the way that we think about prayer is getting our will here on earth done um, in heaven. In other words, what he meant by that is somehow convincing God that these things ought to be done. If I can just convince God, if I can just communicate with God, I can get these things done. He said, no, the whole purpose of prayer is to get God's perfect will that is already established in heaven done on earth. You know, it's about him. It's about his glory. And let me, let me say, when I heard that, it really revolutionized, if I can use that word, revolutionized how I thought about prayer. You know, and what, what I want us to see right here, because you have to realize why Jesus is giving these promises. He's giving these promises to encourage his disciples. And I want you to be encouraged tonight. I want you to be encouraged in your prayer life and recognize beyond a shadow of doubt. And please get this. There is more accomplished through our prayers than we could ever imagine, than we could ever see this side of eternity. And I really want you to be encouraged, you know, as we look at this. So I want us to look at verses 13 and 14 tonight, and I really want us to understand them. And I want us to see that there is a condition. You know, we have to meet that condition as we pray to our great God that happens to be above. And then I want us to see the outcome of a prayer. You know, what do we hope to accomplish? What's the purpose? What's the intent of why we commune with this great God? So I hope this will be a blessing. I hope it will be instructional. And I hope it will really encourage you to persevere in praying to this great God. But I want us to look at the condition. Let's just read through verses 13 and 14. Again, really trying to think through the verses and what they are saying. It says, whatever you ask in my name. This I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. You know, and think about it, because he's just announced that he's going away. He's departing. You know, and this brings a great sorrow, a great uh, struggle in the inner person, because they love Jesus so much. And I think we all know this. I think we know this about relationships. If you're going to have a meaningful relationship with somebody, you have to be in their presence, right? I don't know if you've ever tried a long-distant relationship. I I had a best friend, and he was moving out to Alberta. You know, and uh, we used to do everything. You know, and uh, we used to play hockey. We used to go fishing. We... Yeah, I fished a little, but not very much. But we used to do all these activities together, especially during the summer. And he was moving out to Alberta. And we said, oh, we're going to keep in in, uh, contact. And when we were 20 years old, we're both going to buy these motorcycles and we're going to meet at this specific place. And as you can guess, that never came about. You know, and the reason why is we lost contact. And the reason why is long-distant relationships are very difficult. And Jesus is departing. And think about what he's saying in this promise, because this is what I love about prayer. Prayer brings an intimacy, you know, a closeness in our relationship with none other than our Lord and Savior. None other than the Lord Jesus Christ, even though he isn't present physically with us, again, spiritually, with us, again, with his being. 
He is right there before us. In fact, A.W. Pink writes this. He says, uh, speaking of these words of Christ, he says, he reminds them that his corporal absence would, would only unite these apostles to him more intimately and more effectually in a spiritual way. True, he would be in heaven, they would be on earth, but prayer could remove all sense of distance. Prayer could bring them into the very pre- into to his very presence at any time. Yea, prayer was all essential. If they were to do, here it is, the greater things that God had called them to do, the greater things that even Jesus again accomplished here that happened to begin on earth. Now, let me say that there's a couple difficulties that happen to begin in this verse. If we're going to understand, we're going to understand the promise um, correctly and, and really a condition. And the condition, again, basically is this. We have to come in Jesus' name. You know, you heard me pray t- uh, tonight, and at the end of the prayer, I said, in Jesus' name. You know, probably, again, 90% of the prayers that you hear would be something like that. In Jesus' name, we come through the merits of Christ. Amen. We come, again, in, uh, for the glory of Christ. Amen. Or whatever it happens to be. You know, and I think a lot of times when we look at the, in Jesus' name, it's almost like uh, signing a letter. I know people don't write any letters. So you who happen to be, again, I can say this now, 60 and older, know, know what I'm talking about. You sign a name at the end. And I think that's, that's how we think of this. In Jesus' name just sums up, just ends the prayer. Either that or we think of it as a magical incantation. Somehow, again, because I said in Jesus' name, it's going to be heard by the Father that happened to be again in heaven in a really, really, really positive way. But when we say in Jesus' name, what we're talking about is, again, we're coming through the merits of another. You know, I have no right in and of myself because of who I am, a sinner, unclean before God, to come, to come through my own merit. So I come through the merits of another. I come through the holiness of another. And Jesus is my great high priest, isn't he? And because I'm forevermore united to my great high priest, it guarantees beyond a shadow of a doubt. When I pray to this God, this great God that happened to be in heaven, I'm going to be heard by, uh, from him. It is a wonderful, again, promise, and it's a wonderful truth. Now, that's one of the things that we realize, right? In Jesus' name. You know, but as we look in Jesus' name, we come trusting, we come believing that Jesus is able to do these things, that God is able to do these, that Jesus will bring them effectually before the Father in heaven. But here's the problem, and you know what the problem is? Is, is the, the, the promise seems so definite, and in a way it is. Right? If you ask anything, what? In my name. Listen to what he says. I will do it. Right? Very definite. In fact, even in John chapter 15 and verse number 7, he gives a similar uh, uh, promise. And it seems so definite also. Because listen to what he says. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will. And listen to what he says next. And it will be done for you. Do you hear that language? I mean, it's so definite, isn't it? There's no wiggle room. There's no gray area that happens to be right here. I will do it. You know, I will do it. And we see it again twice in the verses that happen to begin right here. And we see it again right here in John chapter 15 and verse number um, uh, 7, that it will be done. 
And let me say that this is one of the most famous verses in the name it and claim it again kind of theology that happens to be out there. If you come in Jesus' name, truly believing him, truly again recognizing the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you come in his name, you can basically have anything that you want that happens to be again in this life. You just have to come. You just have to believe in him. You know, and we see this. You need to have enough faith in him. Now, think about it. Because when I come... Because this is what you have to do. You have to think through the verse. When I come in Jesus' name, when I come through the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ, when I come and I abide in Christ, as John 15, 7 says, and he abides in me. What do we mean by that? And this is what it means. It means that the things that I ask for are going to be the things that Christ has already revealed in his word. Right? I'm not going to ask anything contrary, but I'm going to ask things according to the name, according to the character, according to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, what he has revealed in his word. You know, what he wants for my life, what he wants for other people that happen to begin in his life. So I could pray for things like deliverance from evil and temptation that happens to be in my life. I could uh, pray for the growth and grace and maturity of my fellow believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. I could pray that God would give me a spirit of forgiveness to forgive others the way that God has forgiven me. I could pray for the salvation of my children. I could pray for the unity of the church, that we might be this corporate uh, entity that speaks forth the greatness of Christ. I could pray for the efficacy of the preaching of God's word. I could pray even that I might have enough financially, you know, to meet the needs of my family, but still have some to give to those who happen to begin in need. I might pray for the finances of our church, that we might be able to even take on more missionaries for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And guess what? I can find chapter and verse on all of these things that I ask. But the one thing that I wouldn't ask, I wouldn't come, if I'm coming in Jesus' name before the Father, is I wouldn't ask for things contrary to his will. Now, think about it. Uh, no, I'm not. I was just going to say, how many are on church cleaning? But I'm not going to do that. But imagine if you're on church cleaning, and you have had a busy week, and the only time that you can come clean the church is Saturday night. You know, and you're cleaning, and you're cleaning, and cleaning, trying to get everything prepared for Sunday um, a morning when the people of God meet, and all of a sudden you hear this knock on the door. And you go out, you know, and there's about 50 people outside. You know, and they got party hats on, they got those little gazoos that happen to be again right there, and they're blowing them, and they have uh, wine and liquor bottles, they have a roulette table, and they all of a sudden say, we're going to come in and we're going to have a party, but we want you, we want to assure you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, we're going to clean up so you can have your service on Sunday morning. You know, and, and so, you know, your, 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 your uh, forehead becomes wrinkled, and you say, absolutely not. And then you say, don't worry about it. We've cleared this with Pastor Scott, and Pastor Scott is okay with it. Now, think about it. What would you say? And this is what I hope you would say. There's no way he cleared it. <laughs> I know what he preaches on Sunday morning. You know, I know how he lives his life. There's no way that he would clear something like that. And this is, and this would, this is why you wouldn't let them in. Because you realize what they requested and the name that they came in was against the character of that person. Well, can you imagine? You know, and I know that's a silly illustration, but can you imagine coming before the God of all of eternity through the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ, and asking for something that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt 
is outside of the will of God. Can you imagine that? You know, people do that all the time. Oh, God, give me, I'm really struggling financially, but they really do not want to work hard. And many times they want a windfall so they can spend it again upon themselves. Many times they don't want to walk by faith, but they want to walk by sight. And so they want this plethora of money. Oh, Father, somehow just take me, take me out of this marriage. It's just too tough. And it is tough. A sinner living with a sinner in a fallen world. You know, and all of a sudden we realize what God has said. We realize again the picture of Jesus Christ and his church. But just take me out. Just take me out of this relationship that happens to be again right there. We ask for something that happens to be outside of God's word. We might pray, God, please, you know how I struggle with this sin. You know I'm not ready to give it up right now. You know that nobody knows about it. But please do not have it discovered. And let me say, do you think God really hears us? Do you think he's going to respond in a positive way? Again, this is what Pink writes. He writes, we can only rightly ask God for that which will, listen to what he says, will magnify his son. To ask in the name of Christ is therefore to set aside our own will and bow to the perfect will of God. Isn't it true? You know, we realize that. And here's an amazing thing. This is what I love about prayer. And this is what I love about persevering in prayer. So many times I'm asking for God for selfish things that are good, but selfishly. And I don't recognize the selfishness that happens to begin in my heart. But the more I pray, the more I pray, the more I pray, he whittles away, he whittles away, and he sanctifies my prayer. You know, and that's the amazing thing, isn't it? Because remember that definition that we started off with uh, Sam Storms, the whole purpose of prayer, right, right, is not to get my will, here, here it is, here it is, that I want done on earth, done in heaven. But the whole goal is to have God's perfect will done on earth. And here's the amazing thing. Through persevering in prayer, through praying and praying and studying God's word and seeing who he is, seeing who I am, beyond a shadow of a doubt, he begins to change me, conform me into that blessed image of Jesus Christ. And that's his will for each one, one of our lives. So here I am. I'm praying for an individual that happens to be again over here. Maybe they're ornery. Maybe, again, they're outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe I'm praying because I just do not want to handle them. I don't want to talk to them. It's so much easier if they're believers. God works on my heart. He shows me my selfishness. He begins to sanctify it so much so that I start to have compassion on this individual. I want to witness to them. I want to testify the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there's another individual that happens to be over here that's done me harm. And I realize the great forgiveness of Christ and I'm praying for this individual, praying for them to repent. But I come to become that vehicle of forgiveness in their life. And isn't it amazing? Because I think about 80 or 90% of the things we ought to be praying for, God actually uses us to answer those prayers. Isn't that amazing? Because he changes us. He transforms us. Now, all of that's true, isn't it? We need to ask according to God's known will. But if you've prayed and prayed, many times you prayed for good things. Many times you prayed for godly things. Many times you prayed for things according to God's will, to Christ's known will. But here's the thing. They haven't come to pass. And well, what do we do with that? I mean, we believed. We were absolutely um, heartbroken that they didn't come to pass. And what do we do with those things? And that's where we come to the second point. The second point is we have to realize the ultimate purpose of prayer. And it's there in the text. I don't 
I don't know if you didn't see it or you missed it, but let's just read it again and see if you can spot it, okay? I'll try and emphasize it too. Here we go. Whatever you ask in my name, this will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. I think that's so important to recognize the purpose, to recognize the ultimate goal that happened to begin in prayer. Because it's so easy. You know, we prayed and prayed for my friend. We loved my friend so much. But somehow, either we were unfaithful or somehow God wasn't true to his word because he died. He passed away. And we can lose confidence in God. We can lose confidence in this prayer unless we recognize that we're not only to pray according to God's known will, but here's the second one. We're to pray according to God's mysterious will. His will, again, and how he can take all the events of life in his wisdom and use them all that he might ultimately be glorified. And isn't that the whole purpose? That this great God, this great Lord, this great Jesus might be magnified. In fact, it says it again right in that, that, that text because in verse number 13 it says, whatever you ask my name, this will I do. And there's that, that, right? right? In some versions it would have this, so that. And it's called a Hinnacle Clause. And you know what a Hinnacle Clause is? It's a purpose clause. So the reason why I pray, the reason why I ask, the reason why I request is this. I want this Christ. I want this God. I want this Lord. I want my Savior to be magnified. You know, the Father and the Son. And that's the whole purpose. And it should be our highest purpose that happens to begin in prayer. The glorification of God, that he might be known, that he might be celebrated, that he might be trusted, no matter the cost in our personal life. And you see examples of this. You know, in the examples, and one of the clearest examples of this happens to be, again, Jesus in the garden. Do you remember that? You know, Jesus in the garden, here he is in the perfect humanity, right? Here, 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 he, he doesn't use his omniscience to see down through the quarter of time how everything is going to work out for good, how everything is going to work out for the glory of Christ, how multitudes and multitudes are going to come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here he is in his perfect humanity, trusting the Father that he might be our perfect sacrifice for sin. And as he's there, he's in the garden. He realizes the horror, the first time in his life that he's going to be separated from the Father as he's made our sin bearer. And he prays three times in the garden. And listen to what he prays. And I want to ask you the question, do you think this prayer request went unanswered? Because this is what he prayed. He prayed in the garden, what if? Father, if you are willing, right, remove this cup. Do you think... Jesus didn't have enough faith or something. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. And then he says these words, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And what's he mean by that? He means by this, it's all about the magnification of the Father. It's all about his glory. It's all about his reputation. It's all about him, isn't it? And that should be the high school. So when I pray, I'm praying for these things. I'm praying for these good and godly things. But in the end, Lord, whatever is going to end the end through your incomprehensible wisdom, have that come to pass, even if it brings struggles and difficulties in, my li- in, in our lives. You know, um, here's another example. 
And that happens to be, again, in the life of the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and verses, uh, beginning at verse number 7, this is what it says. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, right? So here it is. Here's this thorn in the flesh. Here's this messenger sent by Satan himself to harass the Apostle Paul to keep me from being conceited. And this is what Paul did. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And listen to the outcome and think of the whole purpose of prayer. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that, here it is, the power of Christ may rest upon me. Isn't that amazing? You know, here's this messenger of Satan. This is no good. Take it away. This is Satan. This is evil. This is awful. Whatever it happens to be. And he only prays three times. It's not that he keeps praying praying for this. I'm going to wear down heaven until uh, God answers his prayer. You know, he realizes beyond a shadow of a doubt. You know, the whole purpose. And the whole purpose is, here it is, the magnification of Christ. Now, what would keep Paul from magnifying Christ? This great God, and this is what Paul would keep Paul from magnifying this great God, conceit, pride. Right? What do proud people do? Proud people say, look at me, follow me, trust in me. What do weak people do? They point to somebody who's stronger, someone who's more glorious, somebody who's more worthy. And here it is, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we recognize who we are, it's all about the magnification of him. It's all about, again, his glory. And let me tell you, that's the whole purpose of prayer, isn't it? The whole purpose of prayer is about the worth, the excellency, the praise, the magnification. Again, of another. You know, even Jesus taught us to pray along that line. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your your name. And listen to what he says. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's about him. It's about his glory, his grandeur. Uh, James Montgomery uh, Boyce writes this. He says, this is a new thought for many people. For we are so filled with the idea that prayer is getting something from God that we rarely consider. And God means this, again, in his exhaustive sovereignty and wisdom. He says that we rarely consider that prayer is actually a means by which God gets something from us. What he wants from us is, here it is, glory. A glory that will lead others to trust in him. So think of it. Because I think the number one prayer request that happens beginning in our life, in one way or another, is we just don't want to suffer. Isn't it true? God, take this away from me. Take this person away from me. And what if that suffering, and we know this, right? We can look at chapter and verse. What if that suffering is a means of making much of this great God that happens to be above? What if it's a way, of, again, of really announcing what Jesus Christ has done on the cross? You know, Jesus even teaches this. You know, Matthew chapter 16, verse number 24, he says this. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, right? This is what he must do. Let him deny himself. It's not about you. And take up his cross, right? The cross is not something hanging around your neck, but a means of execution, dying to self, 
and follow me. And let me just say this because I want to be really careful here that I'm not misunderstood. It is never wrong to ask for deliverance of trials and difficulties and pain and suffering in your life when that can be removed from your life. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's everything wrong with it if that's the primary thing that we ask. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, Lord, that this is wrong. What this person is doing in my life is wrong. The turmoil that they're causing. Please bring repentance. Please, please bring them to that place where they will see Christ. But most of all, Lord, most of all, we pray that your name might be magnified through it. Whatever happens, Lord, we trust in you and your wisdom. Right? It's all about him. And th- think through it. Because you look at this beyond a shadow of a doubt, and all of us suffer. The question is, again, what is the ultimate goal in all of that suffering? And here's the ultimate goal. I want God, Christ's will, Christ's known will to be done. But secondly, I realize beyond a shadow of a doubt, the cross is such an excellent example. All this wickedness, all this evil, but the greatest good come. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, God has this mysterious will And I pray that his mysterious will that will bring glory to his name might be done. And here's the glory in all of that, folks. When we pray those kinds of prayer, God uses them all of the time. And there's more things that are done through godly prayers that are prayed in the will of this great Christ than we'll ever know this size side of eternity. God didn't need need to uh, make his will contingent on our prayers, but he has given us the dignity to be involved in his eternal program by praying to this great God. And he moves. He acts. He responds to magnify himself and his son. Now, if that's not encouragement to pray, I don't know what is. May all of us, again, come to this great God, seeking, again, that he might be magnified. Let's bow our hearts in a moment of prayer. Father, what an amazing passage of Scripture. What an amazing couple of verses and amazing promise. God, so often we look at these things, so often we roll our eyes, so often, again, even we look at our charismatic brethren, and Lord, we just don't have an answer for them. And yet when we think about these things and we think about the known will, we realize, Lord, that everybody gets sick. We realize, Lord, save the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of us will die. Some of us will die from dementia. Some of us will die from cancer. Some of us might even die for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. But, Lord, in all of that, we recognize that you use these harmful things. You use these relationships that go sideways many times as a means in which you will be magnified. What we need to do is trust in you. What we need to do is recognize your known will, but also you're the great sovereign, sovereign lover of our souls that intends these things for our good, but also the highest good. And the highest good is not our magnification but your magnification. Just be with us, Lord. May we be a praying, dependent people upon you. We thank you so much in Christ's name. Amen. Praise God. Brother.